Section 5 of Gautium Crucis, A Meditation for Good Friday by Walter Lowry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The fourth word, joy and sacrifice. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Matthew 27, 46. Quoted from Psalm 22, 1. C.F. Mark 15, 34. The Joy and Passion At this word we must pause as before the incomprehensible. Incomprehensible it is to us that the Son of God should ever be forced to utter this desolate cry. We know but the outskirts of his ways. But let us fix our attention upon what we can understand. And here let me suggest to you a profound truth which Dante, by a startling paradox, associates with this very cry. He represents the sufferings of purgatory as endured gladly in the strength of that desire which apprehends beforehand an assured blessedness, symbolized here by the tree of life. So the sufferers say, Que quella voglia al arbore si mena, che meno Cristo lieto a dire elì, quando ne liberò con la sua vena. Because the like desire leads us to the tree, which led Christ joyfully to cry, Eli, what time he freed us with his precious blood. It is true that there was a joy in the very passion itself, St. John perceived it, and whoso will may read it in his record, but Dante alone, with the poet's insight, has detected the joy of Christ in this agonizing cry. It is one of the striking characteristics of St. John's Gospel that it interprets to us the triumphant joy with which Jesus encountered the ignominy and suffering of his last mortal hours. St. John emphasizes this so strongly that he seems hardly to leave room for the veritable agony of mind which Jesus experienced at the prospect of death, according to the testimony of all the other Gospels. The note of joy runs through our Lord's prayer, and the long discourses which he held with his disciples the night in which he was betrayed. St. John alone has reported them. It comes to clearest expression when he says, If ye loved me, ye would rejoice, because I go unto my Father. We hear it finally even from the cross, in a word which John alone has recorded. It is finished. Throughout, it is the joy of labor accomplished, of duty done, of homesickness for the Father's house relieved, by going home. This interpretation of St. John's, peculiar as it is, is substantially confirmed by the other evangelists. For though the synoptic gospels give no hint of joy in their story of the Passion, they plainly reveal, in connection with an earlier experience, our Lord's heavenly homesickness. After the transfiguration upon the mountain, wherein Jesus, as well as his three closest companions, had enjoyed a peculiarly exalted experience, he came down again to the world and its sordid cares, and straightway encountered faithlessness and impotence even in his disciples. He could not restrain, then, the exclamation, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? This instance stands alone, yet it is sufficient to cooperate the essential truth of St. John's record. It may be that Jesus never again so plainly expressed his longing 
to finish his task and be at home yet the sympathy of a disciple could detect it and what st john has written for our learning is true to the deepest fact the first three evangelists are concordant and consistent in representing that our lord experienced up to the end a natural human shrinking at the thought of dying they show however that he entertained this thought and faced the prospect even of a violent and suffering death from an early period of his ministry and it was immediately after the transfiguration that he began to prepare his disciples for it but death is one thing dying is another in view of Jesus's nostalgia for the heavenly home, death could appear only as a release, and in the strength of this longing the dread of dying was half overcome. So our Lord's endurance of death is interpreted in the epistle to the Hebrews when it is said that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. Such is precisely the meaning of Dante's phrase, Kella Voglia that desire there is nothing new nor strange about his conception of the joy which shone through jesus's suffering except that he discovers it in this very word eli certain it is that the mere exigencies of rhyme do not account for dante's use of this unusual word nor did he hit upon such a strange thought by any accident he means something as you will be disposed to credit if you believe as i do that the true poets are the greatest teachers by virtue of a deeper insight into human life our lord himself was a poet of the hebrew sort and the greatest maker of them all the word poet means maker and the poet is so called not because he makes verses but because he creates thoughts and gives them a vehicle which carries them to all men where the genius of dante leads the way we also may follow and apprehend the significance of his discovery i make therefore this scolium upon his verse in the first place we must note that dante distinguishes he does not affirm that there is any gladness in the cry why hast thou forsaken me he finds it in the word eli twice uttered and emphasized as it is it is true that this whole saying is a literal quotation from the psalter but to learn what jesus means by it we do not need to inquire first what the psalmist meant for the old scriptures which jesus takes upon his lips acquire from him a new meaning and here in particular we shall discover the common name of deity is freighted with an expression of the inmost secret of jesus's self-consciousness something strange there must have been in jesus's enunciation of this word eli for the people understood him to be calling upon elijah it is true that in our lord's time the divine name even in this its most generic form was not uttered except in worship or in formal quotations from the scripture jesus himself seems to have conformed to this practice there may have been something startling therefore in hearing god's name twice shouted from the cross but in worship at least this name was by no means unfamiliar to the jews and the rarity of its utterance does not explain their misunderstanding what however if our lord wrecked upon the expression of this well-known name the whole energy of that conflict of joy and agony which was within him giving it utterance and accent such as had never been heard before 
would not that explain the people's bewilderment? But before we can understand this point, our own mispronunciation of the word needs to be corrected. It is true, I think, that in defiance of all authority, even the handy authority of our teachers' Bibles, we commonly pronounce it Eli, Eli, my God, my God. So accenting the phrase, we are left without any clue to the misunderstanding of the Jews, and without any hint of a joy in Jesus' passion. But if we pronounce the word as Dante rightly did, Eli, and recognize the whole stress falls upon the personal pronoun my, which here appears as a suffix to the divine name El, we can understand, I think, how Jesus may have thrown such an intensity of feeling into his utterance as to transform the word, and we can perceive that such an intense personal appropriation of God, my God, my God, is incompatible with utter defeat and complete desolation. This interpretation might well appear fanciful, were it not that we can appeal to another passage of Old Testament scripture, which Jesus himself expressly interprets for us, and interprets precisely in this way. When the Sadducees sought to entangle him with sophistical questions about the future life, Jesus promptly solved their superficial problem by the simplest answer. But not resting upon that, he offered bread to those that asked for chaff. So he continued, probing to the very heart of the question. But as touching the dead, that they are raised, have ye not read in the book of Moses, in the place concerning the bush, how God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Ye do greatly err. This passage had never been used before as a proof of the resurrection from the dead. We may expect to find in Jesus' interpretation something strikingly characteristic of his method of teaching. We certainly do not reach the height of its meaning if we rest satisfied with a common explanation, which gathers from the mere circumstance that God calls himself the God of the patriarchs, the proof that they continue to exist, because no such relation could subsist between God and non-existent beings. This does not suffice, for life as Jesus conceived of it is not the mere prolongation of existence, though it were prolonged forever. For him, life is a certain sort of existence, an existence which consists essentially in the enjoyment of fellowship with God. That this conception explains our Lord's thought here will be made evident if we consider why he fixed upon this text. The mere wording of it does not suggest the thought of eternal life. It expresses merely the assurance that what God was to the fathers, that he will be to their children. If Jesus finds more in it than this, that more must have been furnished by his own religious consciousness, which everywhere determines for him his understanding of the scriptures. The central fact in Jesus' consciousness was the experience of an incomparably close relation to God, a transcendent relation, which was absolutely independent of all earthly conditions, and in which he was assured of participation in the divine life. If this personal relation to God was not brought about by earthly conditions, neither could it be dissolved by them. If it was a participation of the supernatural life of God, it too must be supernatural and endless. 
it is generally recognized that the absolute necessity and certainty of eternal life was for jesus an inevitable deduction from his consciousness of sonship because he knew god as his god and recognized that his inmost life was a participation of god's life and being he was assured that this life was indissolvable that is precisely what he finds reflected in the expression god of abraham and what he says with reference to this is merely a generalization of the fact which he recognized as the paramount experience of his own life it is from his own consciousness he judges this passage from his own consciousness he draws the consequences which are implied in the fact that god is somebody's god this consciousness in which jesus discovered the meaning of eternal life the consciousness of personal possession of god this consciousness it was to which jesus gave expression upon the cross triumphing even in the moment of his direst desolation when he cried my god my god sacrifice nevertheless it was half a despairing cry why hast thou forsaken me it is in vain we seek to banish the note of spiritual anguish from this cry we might as easily ignore the physical anguish of the cross success here would be not gain but loss we find a deep significance in the fact that jesus tasted death for every man but he tasted it not if so be he contemplated it undismayed and drank its bitterest dregs with confidence unshaken rather may we say in view particularly of this cry that christ's death was hardly a christian death the calmness of christian death was indeed not possible till after christ's resurrection there is an additional factor in jesus's fear of death which i forbore to mention when speaking of the natural shrinking from dying there is one reason why death to jesus was a sorer trial than to other men that is because of the very consciousness he had of being the christ death is the common lot of men but that the christ should die die in his kingdom not yet established what can be the meaning of that with this problem above all others jesus had to wrestle from the moment he first perceived that a violent death the hands of his countrymen lay squarely in the path of his duty and not far off when we think of jesus and his death we too are compelled to face that problem and it becomes in us the spur of all legitimate christian theology once recognize the reality of jesus's divinity and we are face to face with the question cor deus homo why was god man we recognize the full reality of his suffering death and inevitably the question arises why should the christ die in other ways surely like enoch or elijah he might have departed from the world so long as these questions are asked just so long shall we feel impelled to formulate a christian theology so long as our answer is inadequate our theology must be incomplete our theology is incomplete let it be so and let us know it the acknowledgment of god in christ is the crowning achievement of faith beyond that we probe with our questions but we expect in vain the conclusive answer well it is for us that we can stand upon this attainment it is an attainment however which is not reached once for all by the church as a whole needing only to be passed on as a deposit of faith to successive generations 
it is an attainment new in every age and to every individual disciple peter the basic rock and after him every living stone which is built in the fabric of the church makes confession of a truth which he has not yet received from without but apprehended as the personal acquist of a moral experience no one can say jesus is lord but by the holy ghost the dogmatist really depreciates the value of this confession when he makes it a means to an end treating it as an inexhaustible premise for the deduction of endless syllogisms seeking thereby to solve all questions in the world and out of it from the height of this attainment we can look back upon many a question solved but there are still more questions to face unsolved and insoluble nevertheless we essay to solve them and our success is the distraction of christendom into a hundred sects today we are inclined to be less bold we are growing as intolerant of irreverent assurance as ever the dogmatists were of reverent doubt we are learning again that human knowledge begins in wonder and issues in wonder we dwell again with interest upon a saying long plausibly ascribed to jesus and revived now by a discovery of the past year let not him who seeks eternal life cease till he finds and when he finds he shall be astonished astonished he shall reach the kingdom and having reached the kingdom he shall rest such thoughts of the inadequacy of human knowledge and the impotence of the human understanding are never so much in place as when we contemplate the cross of christ yet one solution there is of this mystery which we cannot ignore since in it jesus himself found solace it is the thought of sacrifice let us not think however that the idea of sacrifice is a solution which banishes all mystery to say that christ's death was a sacrifice is not to define it in terms open and comprehensible to the human mind it is merely to put a symbol in the place of mystery sacrifice is the most ancient symbol of man's longing for reconciliation with god of his recognition that a barrier exists and of his belief that it can be removed this earth furnishes us through all the scales of being with the stupendous mystery of life poured out for the life of others countless hectatums of unwilling sacrifices attend the progress of the lower animals and even here among the brutes mother love provides the willing sacrifice the perception of this fact is the root of all blood sacrifice as men have practiced it and of all its ritual symbolism whatever of childish credulity there was in the early notions of sacrifice whatever crudity or cruelty in the early cults dishonoring to god and debasing to men all this was forever done away by the great prophets who made the notion of moral sacrifice a commonplace in israel the moral sacrifice is a free-will offering not of another life or our own but of our pleasure profit advantage of every sort and of life itself even for the life of another we speak only of what we see in the actual relations of human life not of what we guess about god when we say that such sacrifice as this is in the strictest sense of the word vicarious such social sacrifice offered as unto god in the performance of our bounden duty and service is according to the hebrew prophets the reality 
of which all ritual sacrifice is but the symbol this theme was especially prominent in those books which were the favorite scriptures of our lord in the prophecies of isaiah and in the psalms no other notion than this could have occurred to him when he was led to interpret his death as a sacrifice it is true that the old forms of sacrifice still remained but they remained simply as a symbol of a newly apprehended reality yet this reality itself becomes in turn a symbol of the incomprehensible when we endeavor to apprehend what may be its significance in relation to god all sacrifice implies two parties and a victim the end sought is atonement that both may be at one a new element emerges in the sacrifice of christ inasmuch as god himself takes a hand in it not merely to receive but to offer here the double character of sacrifice becomes more evident it contemplates an effect upon god and also upon men the barrier which divides has two aspects on one side is god's unwillingness to tolerate sin on the other man's hard unwillingness to repent the effect of christ's sacrifice upon man's side is perfectly open and comprehensible to the human understanding so long as we imagine a justly severe god awaiting in cold aloofness our dutiful return we find in our hearts no place for repentance though we may know the anguish of remorse but when we know the revealed mystery of a father who suffers in our fault and is ready to meet more than halfway our return when we believe that god was in christ reconciling the world unto himself then we have found a solvent for the hardest hearts the specific cure for impenitence but the effect of sacrifice upon god remains perfectly incomprehensible this aspect of sacrifice is expressed by the word propitiation but for us to accept this word in its literal interpretation with all the crude original rudiments of the times of man's ignorance of god as though it is signified that a loving son must placate by his death the wrath of a too just father would be a more horrible ineptitude than were we to take in a literal sense the words ransom and redemption terms similarly applied to christ's death as though they must signify to us that for the release of a captive from his conqueror of a slave from his oppressor christ's blood was the price paid to the devil all that we can surely know about this aspect of the mystery of christ's death is what we profess in the creed that it was for us that as he came down from heaven for us men and for our salvation so also what he suffered in death he suffered for us so much is revealed by christ himself and no more these are the very words in which he explained to his disciples so far as it was explicable the mystery of his death st paul and three of the evangelists differ not a little in reporting the words which jesus uttered at the last supper but about these words of central importance there can be no doubt to appreciate justly this occasion and the force of these words we must understand that what we now perform as the sacramental memorial of jesus's death was first performed by him as a prophetic parable of his death impending so closely impending that he could represent it as already accomplished he who taught always by parables here taught by a parable in act 
a truth so solemn that it hardly admitted of expression in speech the dumb parable of the broken loaf needed only one interpreting word my body and jesus's imminent death stood revealed the wine poured out is my blood and with that the whole sad truth is told but with one more word jesus lightens the gloom it is for you not in vain is the christ's blood spilled but for you hence it is that the disciples are to eat and drink that is appropriate this sign and know it as theirs when jesus said this is my blood and for you it makes little difference whether he did or did not then expressly interpret it as the blood of the covenant for if it was to be regarded as a sacrifice at all it must of course be viewed somehow in the light of the ancient covenant sacrifices of israel if already in that hour jesus disclosed to his disciples that this blood was shed for many as some of the evangelists affirm it is at any rate certain that what lay nearest to their comprehension and was uppermost in his heart was the thought that he was dying for them afterwards they could understand the broader thought and as the circle of jesus's friends grew his disciples learned to confess he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the whole world it was in this thought jesus found a second occasion for joy and passion not now in his own behalf as one confident of life in spite of death and eager for return to the father's house even through death but now dying itself is illuminated by a purpose being endured in behalf of his friends it was strange indeed horrible that the anointed of god should die yet dying he knew that god was able to establish the kingdom he had labored to prepare for it but he had recognized from the beginning that it was not by human effort and not even by the preaching or wisdom or might of the messiah that the kingdom of god could be established but only by a conspicuous divine intervention and he knew that in this kingdom when it should be established the father was able to raise him to kingly glory and dominion even through death the violent death to which he was shut up by no physical necessity which also he did not seek wantonly but encountered inevitable in the path of duty he recognized as the father's will for him he was assured therefore that god would accept his bounden duty and service and accepting him would for his willing sacrifice except also his friends we may well believe that this thought assuaged even the poignant anguish of the cry why hast thou forsaken me having loved his own which were in the world he loved them unto the end willingly he gave himself for them and he gave himself unto the uttermost jesus reigns from the tree and as priest king he makes there a full perfect and sufficient sacrifice oblation and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. End of section five.